Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Hlaud, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Grace, peace, and joy be unto you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. My wife, Suzanne, called church. She said, you need to turn on the television. Something terrible is happening. Without cable, I struggled to get a picture on the television just in time to see the second plane hit the towers. It was for us all minutes of disbelief and then horror as we realized the inevitable of the towers coming down. So much death and destruction, the Pentagon, the field in Pennsylvania, two more tragedies yet in so many ways shrunken by the massive scope of the terror in New York City. It was an awful day for us all, and now 18 years later, it seems that In many ways, we see more and more each passing year the widening scope of how this terror has warped our culture, our sense of security, our trust, and our distrust of our neighbors. In retrospect, it is sometimes hard to remember how visceral the fear and foreboding was in those initial moments. I was grateful for one of our members that shared his reflection this week working in Boston that day, looking out at the airport from his office that morning, knowing that he must have seen those planes take off from his desk on a beautiful September morning. And then the fear and panic of those next few days, not knowing if something else was going to happen in the confusion of what did happen and how it ever could. There's no question now, 18 years later, that 9-11 changed us as a nation. I found it striking this year. 18 years is not particularly a substantial anniversary year. It's not one that we mark traditionally, but I felt like I saw more reflections than usual this year. It seems to me that it's directly correlated to the recent mass shootings and the deep political divide in our country right now and the recognition that the events of 9-11 damaged us as an American people. There are still open wounds from the disillusionment of that day that we now have to wonder if they will ever heal. It certainly was not the first cataclysmic event to strike our world, nor will it be the last. Theologically, these moments always evoke questions of God's presence in the midst of of the chaos. In Bible study a few weeks ago, we were talking about those questions of God's presence in the midst of suffering, and I read from Elie Wiesel's account of his imprisonment at Auschwitz and the realization that God dwells with the suffering in those moments. There was a poem written by the British author Godfrey Rust later that year following the 9-11 attack. I've shared it before, and it always comes to mind for me when I think of the events of 9-11 and how the presence of God might be understood in the midst of such tragedy. He writes, Is it the Tower of Babel? 
Men said, Come, let us build a city with a tower reaching to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. From all nations they came to build the city, thinking nothing was impossible. Today, they said, we will go into this or that market, carry on business and make money. Oh, said James, you do not know what will happen today. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Is that it? Or is it the beginning of judgment? Four aircraft of the apocalypse coming like thieves in the night, the henchmen of some antichrist making a few practice runs to raise the new Jerusalem to dust. And all of this permitted by the Lord who has said, I brought you into a fertile land, but you defiled it. You have as many gods as you have cities, so flee for safety now without delay. I'm bringing disaster from the north, even terrible destruction. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you. Was it a slaughter of innocents? Which of us is innocent? Eighteen people died when a tower fell in Siloam, and Jesus asked, What, do you think there were greater sinners than anyone in Jerusalem? No, but I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Is that it? Or is it the story of Job? An honest man trying his best when all of his hard-won security is brought down in sudden calamity. The hour of building fell on all his family. His servants break the news to him by email. Job watches, disbelieving on television, his life unraveling in front of him, weeping in the ruins of his city, distraught, bewildered, desolate, enraged. We rush to comfort Job, and so we should be careful of our feelings not to confuse our sympathy with the substance of his lasting grief. As one of those who will be living from now on on the legacy of an unthinkable change. Of course, it summons up the ghosts of our own grievings, whether real or from our worst imagining, but this is suffering by proxy. We will have no answers when God asks his dreadful questions out of the whirlwind of Job's despair. Is that it? Or is it Nehemiah? who would not be defeated while everyone else sat on, in their living rooms watching the TV pundits play I told you so and prove that nothing could be done. Nehemiah went out to rebuild the walls with courage and shrewd management, armed guards on every corner keeping watch against the new attack. And out of so much ruin and despair, he forged a new community, stronger and wiser than it ever was before. Is that it? It is all of these stories, and something more. For after the accounting of the dead, when the insurance claims are settled and the markets are back to their normal jittery selves, we have all seen what hell looks like. In the future, we'll avoid tall buildings, slowly move away from cities, fly less often, view our fellow passengers with circumspection, seek refuge in more virtual reality, and trade within the safer, safer evils of the Internet. We listen doubtfully to our leaders' words as they struggle to fill their own shoes. Four planes just flew out of Pandora's box. 
And when men armed with just razor blades can bring the whole wide world up to a juddering halt, we know too much and care too little to believe that this will be the last time. The big game of monopoly is over. The loser's tantrums have become too dangerous. Even before our anger cools, we see the moral high ground is just a pile of smoking rubble. Jesus kneels and writes with his index finger in the white dust of Manhattan, let him who is without sin launch the first missile. Who is our enemy? And what can we fight him with? Where are our allies? Where was God on September the 11th? He was begging in old clothes in the subway beneath the World Trade Center. He was homeless in Gaza, imprisoned in Afghanistan, starving in Somalia, dying of AIDS in an Angolan slum, suffering everywhere in this fast-shrinking world, and boarding a plane unwittingly in Boston, heading for an appointment on the 110th floor. When the time came, he stretched his arms out once again to take the dreadful impact that would pierce his side. His last message on his fading cell phone once more to ask forgiveness for them all before his body fell under the weight of so much evil. We bring our cameras to his massive tomb for any chance of resurrection. Now we know the kind of story that it really is. United by this common enemy, sins, terrorism, that we never dreamed could bring such devastation, this is war. We line our weapons up. Faith, hope, obedience, prayer, forgiveness, justice, the explosive power of love. I'm struck year after year of how prophetic those words are as we mark this anniversary once again. We're reminded in our first lesson that we read for today from 1 Timothy, one of the powerful lessons we must never neglect in our remembering. As Christians, hatred, violence, revenge can never have a central place, or evil has truly won. Paul shares that he once saw hatred and violence as the answer, but in the grace and mercy of God, and the sacrifice of Jesus, he discovered the power of love to actually change the world. And in our gospel lesson for today, Jesus reminds the disciples that this love is so strong and so important that he'll leave the 99 to go and share with one the power of this love to change their lives and to change the world. 9-11 feels like a defining moment. It feels like a crack in our culture that cannot be mended. But as Christians, we are wounded. We are drawn into despair. We weep when the world weeps. But we also know an eternal hope that is the only thing that can ultimately define us. For the witness of the cross never falters. 
in the midst of all of the rubble of war, the cross always rises as a sign and a witness to the hope that cannot be vanquished here and everywhere around the world. Jesus is coming again with empty hands of reconciliation, peace, forgiveness, grace, and love for all. Jesus stretches out these mighty hands to gather in all of us, the lost and the forsaken that will not fall through the cracks of our world and of our culture, but instead come into the embrace of Jesus, who then turns to send us out once again into the world with this love that conquers all. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.